As everyone knows, we at the Designated Drinker Show are dedicated to raising the bar on craft cocktails. And now, now we need your help and just a little bit of your time. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and to find out what you want more of and even what you don't. So please head over to designateddrinker.show to complete our listener survey because what you, our loyal listeners, want is exactly what we aim to deliver. I promise it will only take a few minutes of your time to complete the survey, and for doing so, you'll receive an exclusive invite to our Let's Get Twisted Cocktail Hour, a live online interactive event with me and Gina. We'll be serving up some fun times as we try to answer your questions, deal out a few fun cocktail facts, and of course, share some good laughs, all while Gina doles out her tips and tricks as she shows us how to craft three, yes, three amazing cocktails. So head over to designateddrinker.show, dish out your thoughts, and we'll see you at the Let's Get Twisted Cocktail Hour. The date and time will be determined by survey participation, so go do it today. And hell, share with your friends, family, clergy, postal worker, dog walker, I don't know, anyone you know who appreciates a tasty cocktail and some intoxicating boozy banter. You know we can't wait to hear from you. Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me, as always, is my incredibly talented friend, who is my very own little elf on the shelf, the mixtress DC Gina. <laughs> oh, boy. Elf on a shelf. <laughs> well, sort of. You think about it like you're in the bar, you're watching things, you see things, you know when people are naughty and nice. <laughs> I, I encourage the naughty. <laughs> well, that's I reward the naughty, really. That's why you're perfect at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want to go into a little holiday traditions with you. Um, we all have our own holiday traditions. They're going to be based on our own family traditions, our cultural heritage, your spouse's traditions, the place where you call home in the world, and even the marketing gods, you know, who uh, they, they kind of influence people. Um, they all play a role in the way we choose to celebrate the season. And I found some pretty unusual and maybe lesser known traditions I think you might find surprising. Go. Yeah. Did you know in Iceland they have the Yule Cat? Yule Cat with a T. Cat, cat, cat. Okay. Um, according to Icelandic folklore, this vicious cat lurks around during the Christmas t- around Christmas time and eats people. Um, who have not received any new clothes before Christmas Eve. That sounds like a way to get your kids to get dressed up for mass. <laughs> I like that. Well, they think that maybe this started from um, pretty much a scare tactics um, for farmhands to get them to finish the autumn wool before Christmas time. Seems kind of odd. I got another one for you. Got it seems two. really fucked up is what it seems. It is, because like, if you don't have new yeah. clothes, you're going to get eaten by a cat? That doesn't yeah, seem right. This makes me hold back to the snally gosh. Let's keep going. <laughs> so this next one, this one's a little different. Is it about Krampus? It's not. Damn. Uh, I might get there. Um, this tradition, it's uh, it's relatively new. It, it traces back only to 1974, and I actually find it kind of funny. So in Japan, Christmas really isn't celebrated, um, but apparently KFC is. Yes. Yes. In Japan, Kentucky Fried Chicken is the traditional meal served on December 25th. And it's so popular yes. that you, it is recommended that you order your Colonel special recipe or secret recipe, whatever that is, more than two months in advance. Great. Can we two bring months. that here? Because I would like to not cook anymore. 
I'm going to start it here. I'm like, I'm going to observe the Japanese culture of Christmas. Because <laughs> you can't see everybody. I'll wear a fucking kimono and everything. Everybody serves sake. Yeah, it'd be amazing. People will be like, what's going on? Not doing the Simon Fishes anymore. Not doing anything else. I'm, I'm going to embrace that one. Go. All right. And this one I think you might know a little bit about. Um, it's a little something different. But so in Italy, Santa Claus is not the only gift giver. Oh, no. There is a little ugly but kind old witch yep. known as Bifana. Is it Bifana? Yeah. Bifana? Yeah. Um, who also brings gifts, bear, comes bearing gifts during this the holiday season. On uh, January 5th, which yeah. if everyone doesn't know, that is the eve of the epiphany. And um, instead of cookies and carrots, um, parents put out a plate of broccoli with spiced sausage and a glass of wine for her. And uh, according to my research anyway, and tradition says that this good old witch just flies about on her broom, this sounds familiar, and enters home through a chimney to deliver clothing, toys, and candy to all the good boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Do you have First that? First of all, it sounds like the greatest late night snack. <laughs> and if you could just put it with a piece of bread, amazing. <laughs> um, I like the wine. Yeah. Like Santa really fucked up with asking for milk. Yeah. Because milk late night really upsets your stomach, so yeah. I would well. go with the wine. Um, did we ever do the Bafana? No. My father was here, so we didn't we did the American style, but that is a real thing and it's really funny. And yeah. we'll still observe it. Yeah. Um it, I don't know about the broccoli. I think like broccoli rob is what they got. And there's also a sandwich that's traditionally made with um broccoli rob now with like a pork sandwich. Yeah. That kind of came from this whole thing, but yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, I love it. I love you think it. you'd put a sandwich out for her because it'd be easier because she's on the go. She's like flying about on her broom, pick up a sandwich. It seems like if you had a plate of broccoli and sausage, it'd be a little harder to eat. <laughs> you know, they've been calling Italian women, you know, witches for a long time. Strega, right? So anyway, keep going. I want to hear the rest. So speaking of all these holiday traditions brings me to today's designated drinker. She's director of education at the Smithsonian Latino Center and is here to dish up some fun holiday traditions for awesome. us. You like that? Yes. It's Emily Key. Welcome to the show, Emily. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great to have you. So let's jump into these uh, traditional, these cultural traditions during the holidays, but I also want to find out what's going on at the Latino Center. So, you know, I think I'm going to pull up my bar stool and um, have a lovely chat about, you know, what you can find at the Smithsonian. Um, we are really excited. The Smithsonian is uh, embracing all sorts of really great um, activities, and two of them are major. They are two new museums on the National Mall uh, were approved by Congress uh, last Christmas, right after the Christmas holiday, right before the end of the year in 2020. And uh, it's the National Museum of the American Latino and the uh, National Museum of American Women's History. So we're really excited. And as part of these two great museums and all this work that we're doing at the Smithsonian to bring untold stories of women, of Latinos, of African-Americans, of Asian Pacific Americans to the forefront, uh, we're excited to be opening up the Molina Family Latino Gallery in the spring of uh, 2022 at the National Museum of American History. It's uh, the Latino Center uh, has been working on this project for a few years now, and we're just really excited that we're at the point where we can get community back together, um, especially after this really intense period during the pandemic, um, and really, you know, share with each other um, 
our community, our culture, and sort of our contributions to American history and to uh, building and forming a more perfect union together. That's amazing. I did not know there was going to be a new Smithsonian for um, women or Latina. That's amazing. We're, we're very privileged. When does that break ground? So we don't know when it breaks down yet. They are still in the first uh, initial stages of, uh, you know, selecting a, a new director for a founding director for both of the museums and site selection. So it'll be a ways off. But in the meantime, we're excited to be able to bring to um, the public uh, this amazing gallery that will really start uh, telling the story of Latinos in this country um, at, uh, you know, even before um, there was a United States of America, which is really cool to get to, to talk about pre, um, pre-contact pre history, and also just be able to share with, um, you know, the, the community as well as with uh, people who are interested in this information, just how many really great stories and traditions uh, the Latino community has here in the U.S., and um, we're excited to do that. And I think, you know, it's we're really approaching it as an opportunity to break bread, so to speak, with different communities. Um, mm. Whether uh, you're Latino or not, we hope that you see yourself in some of the stories or your family in some of the stories that we're going to be highlighting. That is so great. That is so great. I did not know. I'm like, I just, I have a mask on, but I have a big smile on my face, too. So that's incredible. Oh, well, you know, Finally. you'll have to come out and check it out in the spring. I am a big fan of the Smithsonian, have been, always will be. As a matter of fact, I have a mural in this. We're at Last Call Bar here in Union Market District. And Smithsonian just did a whole um, mural on the side uh, as part of their, like, um, Union Market area. They're just doing all these installs. So we, I, big fan. I, that's all I have to say. Big fan, big supporter. Whatever, whatever you, whatever you ever need, the answer is yes. Oh well, thank you. And I'm actually a big fan of Last Call. I, uh, I, I get together with friends at Union Market all the time. So the Union Market District is uh, really a very special place here in DC. Oh, then you should definitely come see the mural before they graffiti it up. But I'm not sure if that's part of the the design. But right now it's beautiful and it's completely. Um, it, you could see everything. But I cannot promise that for next week. Although it could be more beautiful. Because <laughs> some of the artists that do the graffiti, it's just unbelievable how talented they are. Yeah, I saw it when I came in this morning. I was like, yeah, oh, it's been a minute. So it's yeah, great. it's great. really quite beautiful. Well, it's been a minute um, for me sorry, too, yeah. so I'll have to get out there. Yes. So, Emily, how, when we were talking, you have a really interesting journey on how you ended up at the Smithsonian. Will you share that? Sure. So, um, you know, you know, I like to tell people, and I actually legitimately do do this uh, all the time. Uh, I like to tell people that I'm what you would call a frustrated astronaut. Um, I was that <laughs> child in middle school who uh, watched the Apollo 13 movie with Tom Hanks and like fell in love with the concept of space travel and like was a total geek about it. Like I was part of space club. I went to space camp. I like tracked the space shuttle <laughs> missions. I mean, I did the whole nine yards. Um, and I was going to be an astronaut and that's what I was going to do. Um, and it wasn't obviously until I hit high school when I started actually learning about what you needed to do to be an astronaut and you needed to be good in the sciences or you needed to be a pilot. I don't have 2020 vision. So the pilot thing was out. Um, so then I needed to be a scientist and I took all the science classes you could possibly take. Um, and it wasn't until I hit physics that, uh, I just was 
not was not my cup of tea. Let's just say that there was a lot of help needed to get those grades. And I realized that maybe <laughs> that wasn't my area. Um, and then somebody was talking to Fred and she, she was like, but you don't even like roller coasters. How would you be an astronaut if you don't like roller coasters? You know, it takes uh, an astronaut on the space shuttle or on any one of the you know vehicles. It takes seven. They go seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour in order to escape Earth's uh, gravitational oh pull. So they, she just looked at me. She's like, "You don't get on Space Mountain. What are you going to do getting <laughs> on a space shuttle and trying to like leave the Earth?" And I'm like. Yeah, you know, I hadn't put two Good and point. two together. You're right. Um, <laughs> and so at that point, uh, the West Wing was all the rage. And I was like, I need to find a new dream because clearly the astronaut thing between the science and the I don't like space, uh, you know, Space Mountain, I don't like roller coasters. I'm the gal who's holding on to the purses while my mother <laughs> is up in the, you know, uh, roller coaster. So I'm that kid at Disney. I'm like, you know, time to find a new dream. So I uh, fell in love with the West Wing and I decided that I was going to become a diplomat. That was my new thing. And so I came to D.C., and uh, came to study at uh, GW, George Washington University, and uh, I needed to get a work-study job. And I had, at the end, I had two options. Uh, option one was go do what I probably should have done if I was going to be a diplomat and um, go work for the Center for Latin American Research, um, doing, you know, research all alone, yeah. you know, in, a, <laughs> in front of a computer or in a library, you know, back when you only could do research in libraries. Now that, you know, everything's online, you know, I'm sure... Kids today yep. don't know what a card catalog is. So, you know, I was back in the day of, you know, you would be in an actual library by yourself uh, doing research. Or this amazing job being a museum aid at the Air and Space Museum. And then I was just like, oh, my gosh, those who cannot do teach. And I was, this is brilliant. This is going to be great. This is going to be fun. I'm going to be super excited to do this. So I uh, became a museum aide for the Air and Space Museum. I was there for about three and a half years all throughout college and a little after college. And I would, would teach kids how things fly. Literally, I would, I would teach kids about how airplanes fly. I teach kids about how um, planes move in the air, how they land, how they take off, the mechanics of it. Uh, I teach people about rocketry and and all those things that by the way I wasn't actually really good at in uh, school yeah. I somehow when a curator talked to me with the objects I somehow got it um, and in the meantime I continued getting my degree and I uh, did go and work as a, a you know researcher for the Organization of American States for a while and uh, I I missed I missed the museum world I missed being able to see the spark in kids eyes when they learned something new and different that they'd not heard of before. And, you know, just between you, me, and the fence post, I really miss the applause that you get <laughs> at the end of the day when you do a demonstration and, you know, 100 people are applauding you. Yay, you did a great job. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it does something for you when you get that three or four times a day, when you do three or four shows in a day and you get a few hundred people clapping at you, you know, makes you feel good. Yeah. It really does. So... 
I got back into the museum world and I came back to the Smithsonian and I landed my job at the Latino Center and it's been an amazing ride ever since. Um, just developing all sorts of really interesting things for people to learn about what it means to be Latino in the US, uh, for young people to discover their own heritage and their own cultural traditions. Um, and interestingly enough, the breaking bread concept is something that, you know, is very much a core part of how we do programs, right? For young people, it's getting together around a table and breaking bread and talking about, you know, our different cultures. And I, you know, I've had programs where people are just like, I never knew that about, um, about my culture or my community. And so I think that's one of the, sure. you know, fascinating things about um, just food and beverage is that it brings people together. And, you know, this, this idea that we can come together even if we're different and really find um, commonality. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. When we were talking before, the more people you know, even you know, from different cultures, different parts of the world, the more you get to know about them, the more you realize that there's less, less differences. Exactly. There's less there. You have more things in common, um, although you may come from in completely part, different parts of the world that don't overlap, but you learn that we all, have the same that same human experience completely totally true i agree with you on that you have some chat this uh, you know some of the same challenges some of the same you know obviously aspirations um so i think it's uh i think in 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 places like the smithsonian like where you're at you get to you get to be introduced to those things even if you're not um in those different places in the world it's kind of like you bring the world to the people oh that's a good thing to say you like yeah. that yeah, yeah, that's the great world way to think about it. I, I love that. I'm going to steal that now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that little uh, uh, sound bite because it, sound it bite? really is true. <laughs> that sound bite is incredible. Good. I'm going to, uh, are you a marketer by any chance? Because that's a great sound bite. Yeah. Uh, is, my, is my advertising skills showing? <laughs> Just a little but You know what? I'll take it. There you go. Free of charge, free of charge. So let's talk about traditions, shall we? What's, what's, what's common in your family? Um, well, you know, I have this very mixed family. And I think that has made me um, all the richer for it. So um, I'm Venezuelan, um, American. But my mom, on my mom's side, uh, her mom was uh, Mexican. And my, her father, my grandfather on my mom's side was, you know, American, blonde, blue eyed from Texas, um, met my grandmother on the GI Bill and uh, wow. was in Mexico studying on the GI Bill, met my grandmother and, you know, they fell in love. They met at a Valentine's Day dance. I mean, how romantic. And she decided that she loved him enough to leave her family and leave Mexico City and wow. move to this small town, Edinburgh, Texas, um, on the border, wow. uh, middle of nowhere, you know, going from one of the largest cities in the world to literally a town that was, you know, everybody knows your name, basically. Um, <laughs> and, you know, going to an, a country where she didn't speak the language and uh, trying to sort of find common ground with her in-laws and realizing that uh, food was the way to do it. And so my grandmother became really famous in the family, in the, the American side of the family, for her burritos. She was the gal who would bring the burritos 
to every get together and to every party. And it was because of her food that she was able to really find a way to communicate uh, with her, you know, white in-laws that did not have um, any inkling about who she was. Um, you know, my my grandparents got married in Mexico City without the family there. So, you know, wow. here she was coming into a new family and a new country and a new language. And the language of food is what brought them together. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, my mother did the same thing. Uh, my mother moved to, my mother met my father in, in Texas at the University of Texas. And my father was Venezuelan, a study abroad student. And they got married and she moved to Venezuela. Obviously she knew Spanish, so it wasn't wow. that she didn't know the language, but she moved to a new country, yeah. recently graduated and uh, met her in-laws and food again was the way in which they sort of forged a bond. Um, and, you know, it's been interesting because food is then the way in which my family really gets together. I mean, I just remember the family, you know, we call it bachangas because they're really not just parties. They're like throw the, you know, house out the window kind of party where everybody's getting together, <laughs> except that this is like once a month um, and everybody brings something. It's like potluck <laughs> style. It's loud. It's boisterous. There's lots of things happening. Um, and it's interesting because my Mexican family, my Venezuelan family, my American family, they would come together, right? And so you have all these different communities and cultures and what brings them together is food and food tradition and getting to know, you know, my grandmother's tamales, right? Versus my... Yeah other grandmother, my father's mother's ayacas, which are the Venezuelan version of a tamal. So you then start to also realize, see, we call them different things. We stuff them with different kinds of things, but it's the same thing. It's just a different yeah. take on it. And that's the brilliant um, sort of experience of, of sharing your culture is realizing, oh, we do something similar. It's just called something different, you know, like we we call it by a different name, but it's still the same cornmeal, the same maza that, you know, is from our ancestors that, you know, came way before us, right? And we may have done different takes, but we're still fairly similar. And, and I think that is something that most communities can point to. And I think if we did a lot of that, we would see, you know, yes, we're different, but those differences are based on a similar way of living or a similar way of being. And then we just yeah. personalize it to our own culture and our own community. But there's a sort of a common base. Um, it's sort of that, that base, that base liquor that you then enhance with, yeah. you know, different <laughs> kinds of spirits and things. Um, Speaking and it's the same language, idea, right? right? We're just, <laughs> yeah. we're enhancing it. We're putting spices, right? But it's the same. We use, you know, a pork tenderloin is a pork tenderloin wherever you go. It's just the different spices is what makes it uh, different. It's what makes the Cuban lechon versus the Puerto Rican pernil. But it's still kind of the same thing, right? It's just their own take, their own spices. And I think that's the brilliancy of, of sharing culture through food and food tradition is this idea of 
coming together. Gina, if you had to think there was, if there's, <laughs> so I'm starving now, just so you know. She yeah. talked about like I'm tamales. And, and you know, this you is, and the like, interesting thing is I don't the cook. The <laughs> I'm like, yep. So let me ask you this, Gina. If you had to, you know, at, if there's anything close to an Italian tamal, what would that be? <laughs> Polenta. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we, we eat it all the time. It's, we just don't stop it, right? Yeah. Yep. But, um, but that's not it. For me, I understand what you're saying about the traditions and, like, how you eat and stuff. For us, it's um, lasagna. Northern, Southern people made lasagna. And then where my father's from in northern Italy, it's pasticce. And they're, like, there's a very little difference. Um, it's the way that they make the noodle, the pasta, that um, is different. And my family would be like, you know, one's so delicious and one's so, and one, and they're both so different, but they're the same thing. Yeah. And did you call it pasticce? Yes, pasticce. You know, that's interesting because in Venezuela, what we call lasagna in Venezuela is pasticho. In Spanish, in Venezuelan Spanish, it's called pasticho. And I think it's because there's a lot of Italian heritage in Venezuela. So you see that you see that culture seep through in into the language. Of course, after World War II, yeah. A lot of Northern Italians had money to to leave Italy during war, you know, the end of World War One, beginning of World War II, and they and they immigrated to Venezuela for sure. Huh. Yeah. That's amazing, by the way. I love that you eat that. It's my favorite. Pasticho, it's like, I, pasticce is what we call it. But uh, it's one of my favorites. It's, what, it's made with bechamel, and it's just creamier and thinner. And you actually make a crepe almost. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds delicious. I know. That's what I was saying. Like, I love the holidays just because you get to eat all of these things, right? <laughs> so I don't know why, I don't know why, like, August 11th can't be a holiday of pasta, but maybe we should make that national... Uh, a national um, holiday or something. Start a new thing. Yeah, it should be not? a new thing, I think. Is there I a national so. pasta day already? Because that's a shame if I there don't isn't. Know. No, there must be. I have no idea. You might I, have a noodle per day. I mean, I don't, a noodle I, a month. I, I, a noodle I have no idea. Every day of the month. A different noodle every day of the people month. Call me, <laughs> I have, people call me, people call me, Gina, do you know it's national, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese day? I'm like, I don't. But I, every day in my life is bacon, egg, and cheese because I own a breakfast place. So. Yeah. We celebrate it every day. <laughs> How is that different from Wednesday? <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And also, I want to know who has all the time to make things national days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, mostly it's people like me in advertising who are like, we need to make some shit up so we can sell some shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How about today's national do your laundry day when you're seven so I can make my kids do their own laundry? There you go. Well, there you go. can. You know, the good thing is, one thing, I think you can make that up right now. I think at this age, you can probably make it up. No, they're still too little. They don't get it. They're so funny. Like, can I put my slime in there? I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Um, anyway, anyway. So what do you, from a traditional standpoint for Christmas or the holidays, how, what do you do that you feel like really comes through from maybe your parents or your grandparents? Do you have anything traditional? Because I do not, unfortunately. Yeah. So every holiday, um, my mother really, I used to call my mother festive. She'd get really festive at the holiday time. And she would make her five children wash the walls in the house. Because God forbid my Aunt Anna that would visit from Brooklyn yeah. would actually see that her walls weren't washed every day. So I really, my, my Christmas traditions don't really start till Christmas Eve. Because the week before, my mother made us do every horrifying thing you could possibly imagine. But what we didn't realize is that the entire time she was teaching us how to do 
like, like how to entertain, like make sure your house is presentable, right? Yeah. And then on Wednesday before Christmas or, the, or three days before Christmas, my mother would um, start her sauces, right? And like she taught us how to make all these things. And, you know, and we'd be complaining. She'd make us peel so much garlic. We'd be like, Ma, I don't want to do this. And then she'd be like, you need to do it because you're going to feed your family. You're going to feed your family and you need to peel the garlic and you need to do this and you have to help. And it never really occurred to me that my grandmother and my mother, my mother not so much, but my grandmother at that time, my grandmother's already in her you know, 70s, 80s, peeling garlic is tedious when you're older. Yeah. Like it hurts your fingers. So like all the little kids peeled the garlic, right? And then the elders made the food. And they taught you as they were doing everything, but you complained the entire time. I complained <laughs> the entire time. And, and then it was, I couldn't wait for Christmas Eve because Christmas Eve we went to church at midnight. Went to church at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And church was in the dark and they gave you a candle and I could poke my brother with the candle and burn his skin. But, but really what <laughs> it is, 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 it was, and I'm laughing because I was part of such a beautiful Italian rich community in New York and, you know, my parents were very religious and we spent a lot of time at church and then we'd come home and we would have breakfast at like three o'clock in the morning from church. Oh my goodness. Get to open cup gifts sleep in because we already had seven fishes the night, you know, that evening. And it was like the biggest, longest day ever. And then we slept in in the morning. And I never realized when I was a little kid. I got up on Christmas morning, like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning because we went to bed at four yeah. o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah. And like, like, and then like, you kind of just hung out the rest of the day on Saturday, you know, on Saturday and your family would come later for wine and charcuterie and cheese. No big meal on Christmas day. Oh, yeah, so it was an interesting life. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful though, but that's my traditions. Do you do any of those yes, now? Yes, we do seven, we do seven fishes. Sometimes we do it on Christmas Eve, sometimes we do it on Christmas Day. This year, because my kids are a little bit older, we're going to try to do it Christmas Eve traditionally, go to church, and then have the family over on Christmas Day just for like the same thing we used to do, charcuterie, any leftovers, cheese, like hang out, drink wine, let the kids play. Because, like, really, the holiday's already been observed, right? So, you know, if you're if you're celebrating Christmas, you're there for a reason, so. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. And then also rainbow cookies. I don't know if you guys have that down. Um, well, you know, Mr. Solace is all about rainbow yeah, cookies. Rainbow cookies. Like, rainbow that's it. cookies. We would fight over the tray of Italian cookies would come. <laughs> and there'd be, like, nine <laughs> rainbow cookies. And, like, the kids would literally be, like, like eyeing the tray. He would do, like full circles around the tray of cookies going, knowing where it was. So when your mother said, you could have a cookie, every cousin, You were within arm's reach. Straight up, cousin fights over the cookies. <laughs> like, And why they never bought more of the nine cookies? Probably just because it was more fun to watch. They, they were I just terrorizing know. you, maybe. They would literally like, laugh so hard at us because we were like, just give me the cookie. <laughs> One cookie. <laughs> Emily, do you have your version of a rainbow cookie? Um, <laughs> this is just something you know, that every family member fought over. That <laughs> rainbow cookie sounds delicious. Um, you know, as I was listening to you talk about your Christmas traditions, they're so similar to mine. Um, we don't do the seven fishes, yes. but we still do the celebration on Noche Buena, Christmas Eve, uh, the Christmas mm -hmm. mass uh, at mid midnight mass, which in uh, Mexico is called Misa de Gallo. Um, which, you know, just means it's, you know, uh, really early. That's why it's called Misa de Gallo. It's uh, really early dawn. Um, <laughs> we, uh, as, as you, we don't do a big meal on Christmas Day. We do the big meal on Christmas Eve. 
And then our family comes back to uh, hang out the second day on Christmas Day, and we call it the recalentado, where we basically just reheat every leftover known to man that was in the refrigerator from yep. the previous <laughs> night, and we eat again. So interestingly enough, a lot of those same traditions um, we carry over, and I think you can see that influence, right, of, of the European Catholic influence in in Latin America and how those traditions have carried over to Latino communities in the U.S. Um, as people from Latin America have uh, immigrated to the United States. So it's amazing that while you were telling your story, I literally could tell that is my story too, very similar. There's obviously difference yeah. in foods and what have you, but very similar overall tradition. It felt like you were telling my Christmas story. Did your mother make you peel the, like, like clean the onions, peel up, peel garlic, wash the walls? I mean, the cleaning <laughs> was always over the top for me. So I confess that I don't cook. I'm a great eater. Okay. I'm a fabulous eater and a fabulous <laughs> food taster, but I do not cook. But what I do do, and my job was always been um cleaning i mean the the whole cleaning thing totally resonates with me we would clean for like a week i felt like we cleaned everything that yep. we'd never i mean like we were cleaning like the lampshades to make sure there was no dust and you know just things that i was just like nobody's gonna be looking at the lampshade and i remember my grandmother lived with us um and so i remember my grandmother would be like don't get sassy with me do not get sassy with me clean that lampshade <laughs> um and i was like okay so my jobs were dusting and polishing, we have yep. this beautiful antique Ederge, and that was my job, was dusting the living room and the dining room and polishing this Ederge. And then um, for the kitchen or the evening meal, my job always was to help set the table. And so I learned at a very early mm -hmm. age the proper table setting with all the different knives and forks Good. and spoons. And I think going to what you were saying about, you know, they're your grandmother, your your mother, they're teaching you how to entertain. They're teaching you how to have people over to your home and make them feel welcome. Um, and I just remember always being like, there's so much silverware. Why is that? And, you know, there was like 20, 30 people coming over because, you know, that's the other thing. It's, you know, the aunts and the uncles and the great aunts and the great uncles and the cousins. And I mean, it was just so fun. We joke in the family. Um, once you open the door, everything is bed because if you can't go home, you can stay over and sleep on the floor. And, you know, I remember kids, we would, all the kids would like make it just to one giant sleepover at 2 a.m., that kind of thing. Um, and what's interesting is that same idea of, of, you know, running around boisterous and having fun with the kids until, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, opening gifts. Um, that you were talking about earlier is literally, like I said, same experience I had growing up. And one of the things that I, I, I go back to Mexico every Christmas now because I want to recreate that childhood memory that I have that was just so powerful and so wonderful and, and so fulfilling. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. I love that. You know what's, you know what's wonderful? Cocktails. Let's make a cocktail. Let's make a cocktail. I need a cocktail. Let's do it. All right, are you ready? Are you gonna make the drink with us? I am. I have my ingredients. Right. Oh, great. Perfect. All right, so we're gonna start off. This is just a fun, um, uh, really like, just, I mean, a little birdie told me that you love grapefruit. I love grapefruit, but there's a lovely uh, syrup called the grapefruit oleo, um, which is basically grapefruit peels in a heavy syrup. And you let it sit 
uh, and sugar. Um, I can give you like a little recipe, I think, for the designated drinker not show, how to make a grapefruit oleo. And basically, it's just a heavier version of uh, simple syrup. Um, and you can do it with pink grapefruits, white grapefruits, whatever you want. We're gonna use this one, pink grapefruit. So this cocktail is just like a really fun, like nice brighten, uh, way to brighten up your uh, holiday um, drinks. Because uh, everybody, well not everybody, most people should know that this time of year, is when all your citrus is beginning to peak. So you actually have all your beautiful citrus, it's coming out in the fall, it's grapefruits, um, lemons, limes, all that stuff. Unless you're in California, you guys have everything perfect. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna do two ounces of uh, tequila, and then we're gonna put in um, two, uh, well, we're making two drinks. We're gonna put in one ounce of grapefruit juice, and then we're gonna put in one ounce of grapefruit oleo syrup. And then we're going to add one ounce of lemon juice. Now here's a trick. Um, to make grapefruit juice taste like grapefruit in a cocktail, you add a little bit of lemon juice. And then we're gonna add a quarter ounce, and we're making two, of Frenet Branca. Frenet Branca is like a really, um, it's an Italian liqueur, or not liqueur, um, aperitif that's like just a little bit minty, it's just kind of really delicious. And it gives it just a little bit of like that Christmas spice to this cocktail. So I got these cute little sprinkles from, you know, the grocery store for Christmas cookies. Yeah. But I realized that if you're gonna make a margarita-esque kind of cocktail, and it is the holiday, you can get any of the colors that you want and make this into what you want it to look like. So you can do green, red, white, whatever whatever you want. And I'm going to make it, so we're gonna put this on the outside of our drink. So just like, you know, give it a little uh, holiday pizzazz without a flavor. Oh, that's very nice. Okay. So we're going to take our drink and we're going to take our glass and we're going to just kind of give it a little lip. Now I put these things side by side and in theory, it's going to do it. And it did do it. So you have a little green and it's like a little Christmas wreath and it's really cutie and, you know, um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you now. You probably you only have a few shots of getting that perfect line half and half. So you kind of like do a little a little less each time. You do a little, sorry, do a little less sugar on the, I should have done less. Whatever. Here we go. It's very cute. All right. Done. Done. It looks very cute. Yeah, but you know what? I was just thinking that you could totally do the, um, these colors for the uh, Mexico flag. <laughs> yes, you can. That would be super cute, too. Maybe I'll do that. This could be a repurposed holiday <laughs> drink. <laughs> Every day is margarita day. Uh, yeah, I mean, Every day is tequila I don't day. really call this a margarita. I should I say would, tequila day. <laughs> I'm trying to think when I, how I'd classify this drink. I'd classify this drink probably somewhere in the, um, more like a, um, I'm trying to think. Is it not a Paloma? No, because Paloma has soda and okay. grapefruit juice. I don't know. Maybe it's a You know what? I'm going to probably classify it as delicious. Just yeah. goes there. So now here's your choice. You can serve this drink on the rocks or you can serve it neat. And I think I'm going to serve ours neat on a rocks glass. Okay, then. Yeah. It looks really pretty. pretty. It doesn't need, um, yeah, I'm not adding anything else. No garnish? I'm not going to add ice. No. Okay. It has a garnish. The sugar. 
It's got a sugar garnish. I meant no fruit, I guess. Oh, no fruit. That's it. Cheers. Ready, Emily? Cheers. Cheers, ladies. Wow, it's really good. Oh, that's really nice. Mm. Like it? Yeah, I do. It's very fresh. You're right. It's the fernet. Yeah. I like the fernet in there. That's for you. Um, the fernet is like my favorite. Like it's like one of my favorite things to do. Very good. Very open. You know, my great uncle um, from Mexico likes to say that. Uh, you have a shot of tequila before you have your Christmas dinner. So he brings, so he brings the 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 good tequila to the table, and you have a shot of tequila to open the palate. Nice. So this just is so. This reminds me of like a very nice way to open the palate. Nice way to start a dinner. Emily, I need to meet your family. I feel like <laughs> I would fit right in. <laughs> I'm like, start, we're going to start this meal with tequila. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's how we start the Christmas dinner. I'm telling you, um, by the time Christmas Eve dinner is over, let me just say we've all shared a lot of things. How do you not fall asleep at mass? <laughs> tequila is a stimulant. Well, so the thing is that we don't actually have dinner before mass. We do mass first and then we come back and oh, have dinner. Oh, interesting. You don't do midnight mass, right? No. So, no, they do. You yeah. do? Yeah. We're eating at like 1 a.m. Mm. I mean, we have snacks. We like we get together like 10 p.m. Um, and we like have the botana, the appetizer. Then we go to mass um, and then we come back and have uh, uh, a lovely dinner and, you know, just share with each other and open the kids open gifts. Nice. Um the adults, you know, we get one gift each kind of thing. But the kids, you know, obviously it's just the wonder of Christmas, yeah. right? Yep. And when they come home from Mass, uh, you know, Papa Noel, Santa Claus, he's visited. Although, believe it or not, in the many Latin American countries, including Mexico, um, but also Puerto Rico and Colombia and Venezuela, the big gift-giving, toy-giving day is not Christmas. It's Three Kings Day on January 6th, which is known as Epiphany. Um, that is actually yeah. when a lot of the kids get their big, big gifts of toys and things of uh, of that nature. It actually doesn't come on Christmas. It comes on Three Kings Day. So we actually, we do a 12-day celebration from Christmas Eve to Epiphany, which, are, which is actually a fun factoid. That's what... Uh, those those 20, 12 days from the 24th to the 6th are the 12 days of Christmas. Nice. Yeah, oh, now, now, the song, now the song is stuck in my head. Thanks, Emily. You're welcome. <laughs> It'll be a wonderful way to count down the day. Exactly. So before we go any further, Gina, we got to do our housekeeping, our barkeeping. Okay. Where are we going to go to get the recipe? You're going to go to designateddrinker.show for um, tips, tricks, how-tos, recipes, a second recipe for Oleo. Yes. Um, Smithsonian link. Absolutely. All of those things. All of those things. And then if you missed that, it's designateddrinker.show. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have my last question of the day. Am I ready? Yeah. Yes. yes. We're ready. All right, Emily. So in this day and age, uh, you know, everyone identifies themselves with some sort of spirited animal. And being that you're really proud of your... Um, Mexican heritage and like where you're from, you might, um, you know, really like, identify yourself with, I'm trying to pick something really funny, um, a macaw because they're <laughs> gloriously beautiful colored birds. 
and they're found all over um, the Yucatan and, and Mexico and Mexico City sometimes. Um, if you can identify yourself, though, as an ingredient, whether for food or drink, what would that ingredient be and why? Well, I'm going to be really true to my, true, true to my roots. Um, Mexican chocolate, which is different than regular mm-hmm. chocolate. Um, it's, more, it's, it's nuttier, it's spicier. Um, and I just love <laughs> a good bit of Mexican chocolate. Probably because it's nuttier and spicier. And, you know, I, I, uh, people call me a sassy, um, sassy lady. And I think sometimes I really am that sassy lady. Um, maybe it's that uh, opening tequila shot at dinner that makes you sassy. I don't know. Um, but um, I, I, I love the taste of Mexican hot chocolate. Um, and if you ask me what's my favorite hot chocolate, I would say Mexican hot chocolate, which is, you know, the... Uh, Abuelita, you can find it in the grocery stores or Ibarra. But when you go to Oaxaca, which is like the cradle of uh, Mexican cuisine, they use the the chocolate, the spiced chocolate in not just beverage, they use it in food, in mole. Mole, I think that is just, to me, one of the beautiful things about that chocolate is that it is versatile. It can adapt to different things. You can have it in a beverage. You can have it in a food. It can be an uh, aroma, uh, an aroma, aromatizer or botanical. I think it's that adaptive flexibility that is very much who I am. Um, you know, coming in and out of cultures. Um, one of my favorite writers, uh, Julia Alvarez. Um, she wrote this very famous book, How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent. Um, but one of the beautiful things that she said, I heard her in a talk once, and one of the beautiful things she says is that she considers herself an ocean wave. She goes in and out of her Dominican and American cultures. She's never only one thing or only another. She goes in and out um, as the circumstance allows. She adapts to it. And I just, as a Caribbean girl from the beach, um, who really identifies with the ocean. I think that <laughs> when I heard that, it was just so amazing and powerful to me. And I think the, the Mexican spiced chocolate is very much like that. It adapts. It, it, it can be in many different types of ingredients um, and foods in a way that I think uh, culture can do. Culture can adapt and be flexible and move and, and be fluid. And I think that's the beauty of it. We can make culture what we need it to be for our community and for ourselves. That's pretty amazing. I love that answer. That was an awesome answer. Thank you for sharing that. That's really nice. Thank you for being amazing uh, hosts and co-hosts and, and uh, you know, this bar- <laughs> bartender extraordinaire, this barista extraordinaire here with this amazing drink that now... I'm just going to have oh, absolutely. to make for the family. I want to be part Christmas. of your holiday. I love yeah. it. <laughs> you, uh, Gina and I are coming, just so you know, set, uh, there's going to be 32 people this year. Yes, you said yes. 30, it's going to be 32. You're going to have two <laughs> extras. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, we'll be waiting here. And if you want to bring any additional recipes, <laughs> I would be more than welcome to receive them. I'm, I'm always looking for new inspirations. I love it. All right, cheers. Cheers. Happy holidays. Cheers. Salud. Salud. And don't forget, we want to hear what you have to say. So go do the survey. Yes, yes, I know I made it rhyme. I'm such a dork. We all already knew that. 
But anyway, head over to designateddrinker.show, take the survey, and let's hang out at our live virtual Let's Get Twisted Cocktail Hour. Cheers to that. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.